You're listening to The Bloodline with LLS. We'll be joined by experts who will help us understand current issues and resources available to those diagnosed with blood cancer. Holidays and, you know, those things are, are, mean so much more now than they did prior to cancer entering our lives. This may potentially be a cure for some patients. We'll also be speaking with patients and caregivers who will share their cancer journey with us to better understand life after diagnosis and let you know you're not alone. Beforehand, my job was to earn a living for my family. My wife said to me, your job now is to live. And that's what I'm doing. I'm living my life the way I want to live it, and I'm really enjoying it. It's a much more fulfilling life. Let's get started. Welcome to the Bloodline with LLS. I'm Alicia. And I'm Lizette. Thanks for joining us. Today we will be speaking with Casey Bilt Marsh. Casey is a high school math teacher and acute myeloid leukemia, known as AML, survivor. Thank you so much for joining us today, Casey. Y'all, thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm very excited to get to talk with everybody and I'm just thrilled to be given this opportunity. So thank you so much for inviting me on. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Absolutely. It's not easy sometimes to relive your cancer journey. So thank you. Absolutely. In acute myeloid leukemia, known as AML, a series of mutations in the DNA of the myeloid stem cell result in the formation of leukemic blast cells that are stuck in the earliest stages of cell development. And these cells cannot mature into functioning adult blood cells, and then they then multiply uncontrollably. So by the time that AML is actually diagnosed, the number of healthy blood cells is usually lower than normal. And at this point, that's when you'll have anemia, infection, or easy bleeding that may happen. So Casey, I understand that you were teaching when you were diagnosed. Can you tell us more about that time and what was going on? Absolutely. So even just your description just kind of reminds me of all of, you know, the the symptoms and kind of the signs that something was going on. It was in the spring of 2018 and I teach Algebra 1 at the high school and we were just coming up upon spring break and I felt like every teacher feels right before spring break. I was just overwhelmed. I'm tired. I'm a little bit less motivated than normal. And I honestly just thought, okay, it's because spring break is coming up and I just need that mental week off, you know, to get my act together. But as the days started, you know, progressing more and more, I was really getting tired, like a lot. By the end of the day, I really just wanted to sit down. I could barely stand up anymore. I had a fever and this fever kept going on and off. I would take Tylenol. It would go down a little bit. It would just come right back. It felt as almost I had a sore throat, earaches. And so I went into an urgent care and, you know, they tested me for strep that day and it it came back negative. They said my ears were all good and that this is just going to be a virus. Run it out. So I went on with my days. I finished school up, but I had some company coming into town. I had my parents coming to visit and... Normally, you know, I have a little to-do list, you know, of attractions for them to go see, things to do, you know, I'll clean the house, get everything ready. And I had zero energy to do that, which is weird because I'm very OCD. So I have, you know, everything that I like to do in my mind to get everything done. And I physically could not do those things. I, I could go and do the dishes. And in five minutes, I had to sit back down. So I'm like, this virus is literally kicking my butt. Like, I don't, I don't understand. And I went back to urgent care and I said, you know, maybe 
maybe I need an antibiotic or something because maybe I just, you know, tested a false marker, you know, however they want to say that. And so I went back a second time and they said, well, okay, we'll try this antibiotic and, you know, you have to stay on it for this amount right. of days. And I said, mm -hmm. not a problem, like just anything to help me feel better. And so we tried that and I, and I really didn't, you know, get any better from that. Um, my parents did come into town. We did go around and do some things. I just had to sit down multiple times. And then we actually went to the rodeo. It's a big thing down here in Houston. And we saw Garth Brooks. And I always bring this up because we only had standing room only tickets. And I was not going to miss this concert. Okay. I had to go. I mean, that's a big deal. And for him to come in right at rodeo, like I had to show my parents. So <laughs> we went there and I remember they have these boot cleaning stations and I literally paid this guy just to sit up in one of those seats because I was so tired from standing and I didn't need my boots shined or clean because I just had that done. And this guy was amazing. He just let me sit up there for a little while, but I managed to stand mm. through that concert. And the next day, I ended up driving my parents back for their flight and I went into urgent care again, this now being actually the fourth time. Wow. And that's where they wouldn't let me leave there without going to the ER. They said my heart rate had been up very high and my blood pressure was low. And they said, it's a mm. kind of a critical condition. So we're not going to allow you to drive yourself. We'll either call an ambulance for you or you get someone to drive you to the ER. So I called my neighbor that was home. She took me to the ER and after they did a round of blood work, they had found out that my hemoglobin level was at a 3.7 and it should naturally be up between 11 to 16 for a female my age. And at that point, I just remember everything going downhill from there. Just sitting in the ER room and wondering, well, what does this mean? And at that time, I actually had one of the side effects, it hit my nerves was Bell's palsy showed up on the right side of my face. And so as I was describing things to the doctor, my right side of my face kind of slooped down. And so that's when they're like, we're going to need to transfer you to a hospital nearby because we're kind of full at this point. And so that became my journey. And so I went that night and I had a blood transfusion for the first time. And the next day, the doctors came in and they said, here's the problem. We don't know where your blood is. You don't have any blood clots. We don't have any internal bleeding. So we need to keep you here and investigate. And that was on a Monday night that I had gone in. And on Thursday morning, March 22nd of 2018, I was diagnosed with leukemia AML. So that's how it all kind of, you know, hit. They were all pretty much just flu-like symptoms and honestly just questionable, but really that blood work is what told us something was going on in the body. Before this, had you heard of AML? Was this the first time that you were even introduced to this term and this disease? Absolutely. I am not one to be afraid to admit it, but I've heard of leukemia, but I really associated it with younger patients, you know, younger children and everything. And I didn't know that it was a blood disease. I knew that type of cancer and everything, but no, hearing, you know, even AML and breaking it down and just learning that process, that was all very new to me. I really did not know the basic, you know, knowledge of it. So I had to learn a lot once the diagnosis came in and not even just for myself, but even to tell others, you know, when I'm, you know, trying to retell my story or let somebody know, like it was important that I relay that information correctly too, so. Sure, it's true. People hear of leukemia and not many people know that there's different types of leukemia. 
they call us all the time and we ask what type of, you know, what's your diagnosis? And people will say leukemia. And then we'll ask, so what type of leukemia do you have? Because all the different types of leukemia have different treatments. They're different. You know, there's different prognosis. There's different ways to handle it. There's acute leukemias like AML that you have that's more aggressive and typically needs to be treated right away. There's chronic forms of leukemia. And, you know, really to educate people that if they are diagnosed with leukemia, just knowing that you have leukemia is not enough. You actually have to know what type of leukemia so people can provide you with the accurate information that you need for your diagnosis. So even, you know, you telling your story to people, you probably can't just say, you know, I have AML, unless it's somebody else that has leukemia that understands that there's different types of leukemia. Absolutely. I had to practice saying <laughs> the actual word out loud a lot so that I wouldn't mess it up and I actually, I guess I threw all of the physicians for a loop at both of the hospitals I was at. The first one I originally went into, you know, they were very certain it was leukemia, but there was a split between it being AML or ALL. I was actually showing some symptoms and signs of both. And so they were taking a little bit longer to give me my diagnosis because they weren't positive on it. And when I went to my second hospital, which ends up being my treating facility, they had the same issues. And so they re-ran every test that they had already done, but they have to do it for themselves. And they ran into the same issue, but eventually it did come down to one cursor that they found. And that's what made me have the diagnosis of AML. Wow. Yeah. So there was a time I was a little bit scared that I had both at the same time. Like Lizette mentioned, many will call us without knowing their exact subtype. And when we know that it's important to receive up-to-date and relevant support or educational information for those to actually learn about their diagnosis. And many people will go online and try to figure it out, but it's very, very important for people to know what exactly they are researching. For those listening, we encourage you to visit www.lls.org forward slash booklets or call one of our information specialists at 800-955-4572 Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Time to learn more about your leukemia subtype. So Casey, for you specifically, you went to the urgent care and then that's when they said, we, we need you to actually go to the ER. Those listening and those that we speak to, even on the podcast, they say, I wish I had known about this podcast when I was first diagnosed. So for that person who might be listening, who was recently diagnosed, what questions should they ask if, if they were in your shoes? Ask every single question you can think of at that time. To be honest, I wouldn't even, you know, Google what question. I would just ask everything that was going on in your head. You know, what's the next step? What do we need to have? What do I need to do? What, you know, what's the best thing that I could do to care for my body? Because if we don't think about what the steps are ahead, then you think back to steps that you can't prevent. Like what caused this? We don't know what caused this. Right. You can't think back in your head was, you know, was it something I drank? Was it something I ate? Have I been doing something wrong my entire life? You can't sit there and think about that. So you need to ask the questions that you can have to move forward. And so that's really what it was to me. Like I just thought in my head, like if I had a question about, you know, what just that word acute meant, I asked it. And it might not necessarily have been even to my nurse or my doctor, but I would find somebody that knew in that department and I would ask a question like that. And so that's really what I can preach is just 
any question you have. And I know that I'm a teacher, and so I will tell you that no questions are stupid or dumb or anything. But really, when it comes to that, like sometimes we are living in a bubble when it comes to those diseases, and we don't know. And so we need people to help teach us and give us the knowledge of that. So I don't, any question that I had in my head, I would either write it down or I'd ask it right away. And so that was definitely, you know, the things that I had. And another thing I always wanted to know is how long have they been doing a certain treatment or how long has something been going on? I want to know because they, they present you with so many trials and everything. And so, you know, my curiosity Mm -hmm. is really what kind of provoked the questions. And then later on, you know, part of my treatment plan kind of go off on a little tangent here, but going through my first rounds of chemo, you know, they really helped my body responded to that, but I also had a mutated chromosome. And so that was going to cause me to relapse later on, which brought a whole bunch of other questions, you know, that I needed to ask. And the doctors presented me with a stem cell transplant. And so that opened up a whole different, you know, Pandora's box compared to just leukemia. And so that's when I really started looking into research and using the resources that the hospital and even any like society like this presents you with. That's when I was really curious about things. And I started to ask more questions because that was a a whole transplant was just way different to me than hearing chemo or something. Like I had no idea we could do these types of things now. Right. A lot of questions. Mm -hmm. And I just want to tell you that I'm glad that you were persistent because we talked to many people that kept going back to an urgent care facility and were, was given, you know, medication, told it was a virus, told take this antibiotic, and they said the exact same thing that you said, Casey, which was, you know, I, I took the medication, it didn't work, so then I went back to see if there was something else, and just to keep going back just they're still ruling out what you have. And a lot of times they're not looking for leukemia. They're looking for the most prevalent thing that you can have, which is usually, you know, a cold or a virus. So just your persistence and everybody that we've talked to, their persistence and keep going back to actually say, you know, this didn't work for me. Let's see what else is happening. That's very important because we've had a lot of people that were diagnosed with an acute form of leukemia that started out by going to these urgent care facilities. So I'm glad that you kept going back. Yeah, it's definitely about just understanding and knowing your body. And I was, you know, really optimistic about my health. Like I've, I've always been in good health. I've always felt pretty good. And when I was, you know, sick, it was always allergies or some of that sort. So when I started having that fever on and off and, and I did have some night sweats, you know, very flu-like symptoms, but testing negative for it, eventually, you know, I had to tell myself, like, stop trying to be a hero and, and get through your day when something really isn't right. Like, I can't make it through the day without laying down. That's not me. And so eventually that's what it took. You know, I had to break myself down a little bit and say, quit trying to be this big person and, and go on when, when something is going on. And But to be honest, like that first night in the ER, getting the blood transfusion, I really thought I would just get some blood and then move on in a week or two. I didn't understand where my blood was going until the next day. They're like, that's the problem. We don't know where it's going. And so when they said that to me, then it clicked in like, okay, so I'm here a while. This is is a big deal. So that's really when it kind of sank in. 
and everything. But, you know, that's when it all just started going through my head, like, okay, well, give me a fight and I'll fight it. Like, I have no problem with that. Let me just put my blinders on and, you know, get through that. And I like how you said persistent because I'm big on words that start with P (laughs) and they're like, they're power words to me. And with that power, like a lot of what's gotten me through everything is one, like the power of prayer and whether that prayer is to anybody you can think of, even just talking to yourself to me is considered like a prayer positivity. I'm all about being positive. You know, you've just, you've got to roll with the punches and move forward. So I think being positive is the best way to do that. The power of persevering, like you just, you go through it. So every time I hear like a new P word, I get excited, (laughs) like to add that to my power words um, to go through that because that's important. I mean, like anything that can kind of, you know, put a smile on your face or make you think of things. And, and that's exactly like, as I go through the day, I'm big on looking at certain signs or seeing something. And it's funny, but like even growing up, like my favorite color was orange. And then it's like my sports team from from Cleveland, Ohio originally and the Browns, their color is orange. I went to Bowling Green State University, their color is orange. And so I'm like, now that I have leukemia, their color is orange. So, uh, you know, little things like that, but that's how I make it into a positive thing for me is finding ways of not looking at it, you know, as a punishment or anything like that, but as a way, you know, to kind of spread the positivity about it. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to accept that and not just for the patient, but, you know, for everybody that's involved with it. So I just try to find those good optimistic things that will lighten up the mood and spread the positive vibes instead of the stressing ones. Right. And I think it's so great that you that you talk about the power or the importance of having that type of attitude. I mean, we were speaking with another survivor and he was diagnosed with ALL and he basically said the same thing in regards to how important it is to maintain that great attitude of, you know, if this is what I'm facing, then full steam ahead. Let's deal with it. Let's do what we can and let's remain positive while we do it because that's what brings us through it. That's what, that's what encourages us and supports us and inspires not only us, but our caregivers, those around us to find that strength too. So I think it's so important for patients and for those listening and caregivers as well to hear someone like you say, you know, this is what happened to me, but I'm not going to see this punishment. I'm going to see this as a chance to just exercise this power that I either know that I have or don't know that I have, but now's the time to test it out. Exactly. It really you know, I know it's so cliche to say everything happens for a reason, but I know that I was chosen specifically for this task. And I say a task mm-hmm. because one, I'm a teacher and, you know, we have those to-do lists and everything into me, but it's, I'm here for a reason, not just, you know, being on this episode and getting to talk with everybody here, but I'm here for more important reasons. And that's to make a huge, you know, picture of how people can beat this and how you can beat it optimistically. And positively. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know not every treatment is the same and not everybody goes through that, but we have the choice to make it the best that we can. And that's what I feel like I'm here for is to encourage that. And even though we have, you know, downfalls that we hit, I mean, there's definitely ways that you climb out of it. And that's what, like, I want everybody listening to hear is that even when you're there, you have somebody to help you through it. And it's not a battle that's by yourself. You don't have to be alone. And even if you don't have the closest support group, 
you have a million people worldwide just even thinking about you and praying and helping and, you know, just putting their, their stamp on something. And, you know, this might be coming back to my competitive roots. I mean, my, my support group was amazing. And they came up with this quote on a t-shirt that said, whoever said winning isn't everything obviously hasn't met me. It was perfect, (laughs) but it is, it's a task. It's a challenge. And it was one that I happily accepted. And I know that might sound funny to people because you don't want to have to be the one to battle it. But honestly, I would, I would choose me over and over again because I'm ready to do it for everybody. And so that's just what I think it's important for everybody to know that and just know how appreciative that, you know, just even a thought is helping somebody. And that's just what's important and close to my heart for that. That is so beautiful and moving. I've never heard someone verbalize it that way. You know, if, if it was me, I would choose me over and over and over again because I'm doing this for everyone. I think that's such a great testament to your strength and to your impact. And we pray and hope that you continue on the path that you're on because, I mean, we know that you're changing lives of those that you come in contact with. And, you know, I mean, patient or not, the lives are being changed by your experience. So thank you so much for that. Of course. I mean, I probably couldn't even repeat all of that again, but that's just how I... I truly feel. And, you know, sometimes I say, you know, it's real. Though. If, if the roles were reversed and I was the caretaker or I was on the opposite end, I don't know that I would handle it so well to somebody so close. And so being the patient and everything, that's why I really do try to be confident and positive and keep the strength and everything. Because if I was on the other end, I would need that from the patient. I would need that to help me motivate them as well. And so, because sometimes the caregivers go through things that are harder than us. And the way that I always explain it to people from the outside is my goal as a patient was to fight the hardest I could. And so my focus was making sure that I knew how my body felt and that I responded to things and that I asked questions and that I did my job as a patient. But as a caregiver, you're having to take care of that patient, the household, the finances, if you have kids pets, whatever. So it's like, and they still have to run their lives. So they're just juggling everything and it just can't go unnoticed. It's fabulous Mm -hmm. what the caregivers and all the close people that are working with them do, because that really helps the patient because then we just have to focus on us. And that's, what's great about LLS, the Leukemia Lymphoma Society is that those people are there to help families and people going through this at any second with whatever help we need. So if you're not even sure who to talk to or what resources you have, you have the society to help with that. And that's just what's important like to me now is working with the society and making sure that all the patients that go through this know that they're not alone and it can help the caregiver and it can help the patient in more ways than one. So that's really kind of, you know, how I got involved too. And I know I'm going off on tangent again. But that's honestly how I got involved with the society was my nurse actually brought it up to me in the hospital and I actually got a call from somebody at the society and I can't even remember exactly what the whole conversation was because I think it was just one of those days that I was like, why is my hospital phone ringing? Like, this is weird. Everybody calls your cell phone. So when you get a call at the hospital, you're like, um, hello. (laughs) So I think I was a little like, you know, shaken up. But when I got out, my best friend said, they're having a light the night for the Leukemia Society on October 27th. You have to come. And I said, oh my gosh, we have to do that. 
She says it'll be perfect. Well, it's perfect because it's my husband and I's wedding anniversary. And the first time we walked in like the night was our first year wedding anniversary. So can you imagine you get married in October and then your spouse is diagnosed in March? So we were so proud and so honored to walk at that night as a couple together because it just shows, you know, that there's love and everything. And so like the night and being part of the society now is it's huge to me. And I reached back out to them and now I get to help out as a volunteer and call other patients like myself. I'm actually helping our chapter here in Houston go out and spread the word about the society and light the night. And I honestly feel like some of those are the reasons why I was chosen to go through this and everything was to make this difference and to get back out there. And since I was taken, you know, such good care of, I feel like it's my time to give back. So it's awesome. And I, I love everything about it. I think it's awesome that you guys celebrated your one year light the night. I mean, for us, I went to my first light the night when I first started working here at LS and I brought my family, I brought my friends. I was just blown away. I was blown away by those just serving as support to others and survivors. And it was the most incredible experience. So I can only imagine how it was being a newlywed couple, having gone through what you went through at that type of event. It was, I can't see, I get speechless about it because I can't describe it, but it was so much fun. It really was. And it was a little bit emotional, you know, being around there, but you get almost like tingly throughout your body, like just looking around and seeing all the different lanterns and just everybody there. And even when, you know, people are out there walking and stuff, like it just, it creates a different atmosphere. And that's what I loved was, I guess, you know, being out from, I don't, I mean, what was it like six, six, seven months or something after that and being able to walk in something so soon Mm -hmm. and be there. Like I felt, you know, just, uh, you guys are going to laugh at me, but I'm going to say, I'm just going to feel all of my sparkles because that's how I am. (laughs) You can't dull my sparkle. And I just feel brighter and brighter every time I'm in those situations. And so that's why I always tell you, nobody can dull your sparkle. Everybody, you know, gives some sort of spark and it creates a sparkle. So that's what it was to me that night is I just felt extra bright. I felt like one of the lanterns personally. Oh, that's awesome. And you know what? That's exactly why it's lanterns. It's the light of night and it's a celebration of light to drive out the darkness of cancer. And it's such a great event for people to attend or speak with someone who has attended to hear their experience. And you also meet a lot of great people there as well. I remember when I first went... I heard so many stories and connected with so many people who were diagnosed a year from that date. So it's such a great time. And for those who would like to register for the event or learn more about it and read more about it, you can visit www.lightthenight.org. But Casey, going back to treatment just for a moment, with AML, intensive chemotherapy might be all a patient needs or there might be other treatment options. You received a stem cell transplant from your brother. How was that? How was that process? How was, you know, preparing for that, recovering from that? So hearing about the stem cell transplant was kind of, you know, a little shock to me just because I didn't know what it was or what they were going to do. So eventually, once I started looking into it more, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is really kind of awesome that, that we can do these types of things. And I was never hesitant or scared. I was ready. I'm like, okay, well, what's the next step? Like, let's go. I don't want to wait half a year to do this. Like, when can we go? 
So they said, well, there's a process that you have to go through. We have to find you a match and we have to, you know, you have to stay in remission and we have to do all these different tests on you and everything. So immediately we started the process. Well, it's lucky I come from a big family. I have three brothers and two sisters. Wow. And three of them were perfect matches. Wow. Yes. That is a blessing. Oh my gosh. That is a blessing. I know. And sometimes I feel so guilty because I want to share them all with, you know, people that have trouble finding the donors. And I don't want to be like, oh, I have so many in here, you know, and it did, you know, and a lot of my family is competitive like me. So (laughs) they were all naturally like, well, I'm going to be it. I'm going to be the donor. I'm going to, you know, it's got to be me. It's got to be me. And so um, what they did was they actually preferred to have a male. They told me that it was basically based off of your hormones and everything. The guys have a little bit less you know, hormones to deal with than females. Yeah. And so they chose my brother that's closest in age and closest in weight. And again, as a sign, we would always call each other our twins growing up. We were pretty much the same height and same weight for a long time. We told my younger sister that we were twins and we just had different (laughs) birthdays because we didn't want to share it. That's funny. So she's pretty gullible. But so now coming back, it was kind of ironic that we really were going to kind of be twins now, you know, with that same blood. And he was great and his work was great. They let him go and fly over from Florida over here. And they did the process kind of like a dialysis where they took out his blood, you know, ran it through, filtered, took out the stem cells and then kind of flushed it back into his body, which was really great to kind of witness and see something so crazy like that happen. And they needed about, I think, 4 million stem cells um, from him. And they actually collected 11 million stem cells. Wow. Wow. It was great. And so once that process, you know, was there, it took about three days for him to do all that stuff. Then it was my turn. I did a few more tests and, and everything and got cleared. I was still in remission from my two rounds of chemo that I had. And when it came time to do my stem cells, it's fun because they give them through you just through an IV and you can hold up your cell phone to the little cords coming down from the IV and you can see the stem cells float down. Wow. Oh, wow. So it was really hard to kind of, you know, capture in a picture on a phone, but I'll never forget what that looked like and everything. And so I had one big round of chemo right before that. And so a lot of my side effects or symptoms did come from the chemo and not necessarily that transplant right away. And so then after that, my total stay there for that whole process was about 34 days in the hospital. And there was about, you know, two weeks, I would say that was kind of like the low end of it. I'm just kind of feeling a little bit rough and dealing with some throat pain. But after that, they encourage you to walk every single day to get out there and get your strength and whatnot. And they have an exercise group. And I just remember loved going to exercise group because it's like a social event for me. (laughs) So when you get to see everybody and everyone shares what day they're on of their stem cell transplant. So your first day that you get it is day zero. So when you get to watch all those other people in the exercise group tell them they're on day 21 or, you know, day two or something, you, you get to look forward to hearing their stories to see how you're going to kind of go through Mm -hmm. it or vice versa. You get to share with those people that are just now going through it. So it really helped having those types of things, you know, going through that transplant. And once I was released from the hospital. I did have to go back every day for about two weeks just to watch your numbers and your counts and everything. 
But then after that, the doctors kind of start doing some treatments from home, you know, that you can do just natural infusions and things like that. And now we're at the point that I'm almost one year out from my stem cell transplant. Thank you. And I'm down to just small, very minor like symptoms every once in a while of something called graft versus host disease. And a lot of times like the easiest way to explain that to people is when I received my brother's stem cells, they try to take over your whole body. And so when your body starts producing its own stem cells, my brother's just wants to take over. And so sometimes that causes them flare up symptoms, which you know, can be, you know, very mild or they can, you know, be very offensive and stuff. But luckily mine has been a good recovery and, you know, I'm, I'm thankful and very blessed to how my recovery is going, but it's beyond me how this research is done. It's crazy. And Mm -hmm. I love that we have people that are persistent and curious and find ways to help us get through this stuff. And that's just my view on that, the stem cells and how crazy it was to see something like that happen. But it's awesome. And I'm like walking proof that, you know, it can go well. Absolutely. And Casey, like you were saying, there's a lot of research now for AML and there hasn't been a lot of advances for AML treatment in the last 40 years. And LLS is leading the BEAT AML Master Trial, which really is a groundbreaking collaborative clinical trial that's really testing novel targeted therapies for patients with AML. Patients go through genomic screening process that takes up to seven days, which in itself is something new because usually patients with AML start treatment right away, but we need to know their genetic profile because once we know a patient's genetic profile, the patient is then assigned to therapy based on their genetics. So this is totally individualized to their genetic marker, and we're working with a lot of different medications and treatments. So we're really looking to give you the best medication and treatment that serves your AML, that serves your markers. So that's really something that's innovative, as well as years ago, stem cell transplant was definitely innovative, something that was new and something that now throughout the years, the process has been getting better and better. And we're now talking about CAR T-cell, which really is re-engineering your own T-cells, your body's own cells, and reprogramming them so they can know what a cancer cell looks like, and then they can go and kill the cancer cell. And that's your own body doing it. To add on to that, to think that there have been few advances in treatment for AML in 40 years is so crazy. Having LLS or LLS's aim to change that through this type of precision medicine approach is something that is exciting and hopefully something that allows for there to be a change, that there will be a major advance in this field and patients will be getting better news and you know the best news when it comes to that day of being diagnosed because so many things run through your mind. Casey, going back to the day that you were diagnosed and you know the weeks after that, where did you go for support when you were looking to find out more about what the doctors had just told you? You know, how important was the support system at this time? You know, I have a very, very close and personal support system and also a very large one. And when people heard my story, I had a lot of people just reach out to me with similar stories or somebody else they knew that was going through AML. I mean, I was honestly kind of flooded with 
resources and everything. But to be honest, my, my one go-to person was my aunt and she's up in the Cleveland area and she has been an oncologist nurse. I don't even know how many years and she might be mad at me for saying that, but she's also in like the teaching field now where she is, you know, learning all this education and going back and, and teaching others. And anytime I needed, you know, a vocabulary quiz or any, you know, just anything like that, I went to her. She was kind of my, my home base of any question I had, or if she wasn't there, you know, she would be on speakerphone with the doctors and just be kind of able to relate, you know, that way. And you know, I'll never forget after I was diagnosed, one of the first questions, she was on the phone, the doctors and stuff. And I just, I asked her, I said, when can you fly down? And she was here the next day to see me get off the ambulance and into the ER and, and whatnot. So she was very much a solid, you know, stone for me to go to on all that. But I also made really good connections with all of my nurses and I love all of them dearly. And honestly, I would build those relationships and I got a lot of good, you know, follow-up from them. They would give me different resources. That's how I heard about Leukemia and Lymphoma Society was from them. You know, they were the ones that would contact my social workers or counselors, anything like that. And that's whether I was inpatient or outpatient. It didn't matter, you know, any of those nurses, anyone that I could talk to, it was very beneficial from them. So where I got my treatment, they provided a lot of different resources for me to use, but I did use very personal and close relationships that I had with people already. Those were my main support, you know, systems and everyone was just amazing on that. And I mean, the high school that I worked for, they just, it was an outpour of help, you know, whether it was from meals being delivered or blood drives in my name, or even people donating days to me from work. Like everyone just truly stepped up and it, it was just overwhelming and crazy to think back to all of that. And, and that's what just gives me, you know, that inspiration to, to keep going, you know, back and, and giving back and giving more to everybody, you know, because time is just essential and it's precious to everybody. And so they, you know, have stepped forward and helped me. And that's what I feel like I need to do myself is to keep stepping forward and now helping others and everything. So that's where my resources came in. And, and now that's what I'm really trying to do. I mean, the importance of the community and support is just a point that we want to get across because I mean, no one can do it alone. And especially during such a challenging time, like a blood cancer diagnosis or any diagnosis for that matter, no one can do that alone. And so, I mean, for those listening who would like to learn more about the support resources that LLS offers, whether it be our LLS patient community, whether it be an online chat that takes place weekly, there's so many different things that we offer. So we encourage you to visit www.lls.org forward slash support to see the listing of all those resources. But to your point, Casey, I mean, again, it's so important for people to hear someone who is in the same position say, this is who was rallying around me. This is what I needed. This was holding me up during this time. Because again, you need that type of circle around you or that, or that type of support. You are blessed to have it, but sometimes people don't have that support. And so that's why online support resources are important and are beneficial because it allows people to connect with others in the comfort of their homes and their PJs and really ask the questions that maybe they thought that they couldn't, they didn't have anybody to ask at that time. So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. I mean, the more people that know, more prayers go up, more miracles come down. So 
<laughs> Absolutely. So on our homepage, we have a line that says, after diagnosis comes hope. And so if you were to finish that sentence, what would you say? After diagnosis comes fill in the blank. Oh, man. Y'all should have prompted me for this. I have so many I different know. routes I that I want to go. She's like, you know what it is? Here's the thing for a P word. That's why. It's not even the P. You know what? I, instantly that I will go to is after diagnosis comes your biggest sparkle ever. Your sparkle. There you go. And that's why I didn't prompt you because we want it to be a gut reaction, gut response. What are you feeling at the moment? So that works 100%. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Don't mind me with all the sparkleness. I've decided that at school, I need to wear some sort of sparkle every Wednesday. I don't know why I chose that day. Maybe it's just because it's the middle of the week, but I will have some sort of glitter or sparkle on every Wednesday. That is awesome. You sound like such a great person to know because you have such a great personality. You have such a great kind of mindset towards things. So I can only imagine how happy the students are having you as their teacher, especially especially math. Oh, yeah. You believe the looks I get for math. Oh, my goodness. Unless, listeners, unless you love math, then hey, we're all about it. It's all right. Everyone needs a nerd, a math nerd like us to fill in those spots. Exactly. Exactly. We're all pieces of the puzzle somewhere, somehow. Pieces of the pie. The only thing I like about math is National Pie Day when Mm -hmm. we actually use pie. Although it means math pie but it doesn't matter yeah it doesn't matter it can be a dessert pie it can be a pizza pie we don't mind we like to celebrate anyway (laughs) so Casey is there anything that you think that we did not mention on this episode that you think would be beneficial for our listeners the most thing I can really just try to assure people is to ask questions you know keep trying to find resources or answers that you're not getting don't just stop with one person just really keep going because somebody out there is listening. Somebody out there does want to help. They do want to know, but we can't exactly do that without recognizing it. So I just, I encourage people to be vocal about that. And, you know, I told you guys before when we had talked on the, the phone, I do something at the end of all of my, you know, talks and everything. And I definitely want to include a little bit of that on here. And it goes back to, you know, my sparkle. I I didn't want anybody to ever, you know, look at it as a bad thing or, you know, that it dulls something. I want everyone to think of that sparkle. And, you know, when I was in treatment and everything, I never got to ring this bell that everyone talks about ending your chemo. And maybe it's because we didn't know if that was going to be the end of chemo or it's right into stem cell, but I was just never given that opportunity. And it made me think about all of the other people that, one, haven't been given that opportunity either, or just all the people that don't have someone to be their advocate or to vouch for them. And so when I go out and in front of all these people, I bring these little jingle bells and I pass these glitter jingle bells out. I do spray paint them with some glitter on there to sparkle. And I just give the jingle bell to each person that wants one. And all they have to do is think about someone that they can hold this bell for. And if they don't have anybody that they know personally, then I want them to think about all the people that might not have somebody. And when they're doing that, what they're doing is creating that spark inside that jingle bell. 
And then as soon as we ring that bell, it's creating all of those different sparks and sparks turn into sparkle. And so that's just one thing I want everybody out there to know is even if you don't have that very close, you know, supporting system, you have all of us sitting over here ringing the bell for you. So that's my funny little ending to everything, but I really truly feel like the bells make a difference to, to me because I haven't been, you know, one to ring it. So that's my little bell. And I know y'all can't really hear that, but uh, it means a lot to me and, you know, to be here today to get to do the bell and think about all those that might need us to ring the bell for them as well. That is so awesome. And I honestly, do we even need an ending with that type of ending? That's, that was perfect. Right. It's like mic drop. <laughs> right. Mic drop. Casey, thank you so much for chatting with us and sharing your story. You shared such great takeaways in today's episode that I think, I mean, I, I know that Lizette and I learned from, from you today and I know that our listeners will as well. And for those listening, we'd love to hear more about how you liked this episode, what you learned from this episode. So please comment below. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for having me on today. I honestly had so much fun and I'm glad that we got to do this. And, you know, I look forward to future podcasts and, and getting to let people know what we're doing here and how the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society can help us. So thank you so much. Thanks for listening to The Bloodline with LLS. We can be found on iTunes and other great podcatchers. You can subscribe at www.thebloodline.org. Be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous podcasts. Be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Keep up with LLS by following us on Twitter at LLSUSA and Facebook at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Until next time. <laughs>